0: I'm Karen Hartglass. You are listening to another episode of It's All About Food. And I am going to be speaking with one of my favorite people in the food world and just in the world, period, Visanto Molina, MSRD. Visanto is a sought-after speaker at health conferences worldwide, a consultant for individuals, as well as the government of British Columbia. She is the lead author of The Last position paper on vegetarian diets for the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. Also, Vasanto received the prestigious Riley Jeffs Memorial Award for Dietitians of Canada. She resides in Vancouver, which I've just learned is called VegCouver, Vancouver, Canada with her partner, Cam. Her website is Nutrispeak.com. Vasanto, I am so happy to see you and we're on Zoom and I just wish I could give you a giant hug. <laughs> Good. <laughs> hug, but I understand I'm going to be seeing you in New York in September, so I can give you a hug then.
1: I'm speaking at the Peapod Conference in New Jersey, and also I'll be going to the Vegan Society in Philadelphia and staying for a week in Manhattan, which we thought would be fun to do.
0: Well, September is the best time to be in New York.
1: Oh, good. Yes. Yes.
0: It's the best time. It's when the heat is over, the humidity is gone, and fall is in the air. Thank it's you. It's a good time. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Good. Okay. Well, look, it looks like you and Brenda Davis have yet another book out that just was released the end of March, Plant Powered Protein. Yeah,
1: Plant Powered Protein. Yeah.
0: Beautiful.
1: You've done like 13 books together, something like that? I think it's either 13 or 14. Yeah. those count at this point. Wow. <laughs> and they're in 10 languages. 10 languages. Yes. They came out in Hebrew and Russian recently. And it's, that's it's wonderful. Do and you- after I go to New York, I'll be speaking in Brazil. And oh. I'll be staying at a vegan hotel in Brazil. Like the world is is really moving along. <laughs> That's exciting. Do you speak any
0: foreign languages? Uh,
1: no, I, l- I love French, but I don't speak well enough that any French person, they switch to English. I I podcast.
0: just started a French podcast with a woman in France who lives in a small village and she's a vegan and she's all alone.
1: <laughs> wow.
0: Yeah, we just started it. It's very exciting.
1: But even Oscar- there, people are changing. We've been to very good French vegan restaurants in Paris. Yes.
0: Yeah. It's worldwide. It's it's really wonderful to travel now.
1: It is. And I just gave a talk at a, um, it it was in Chilliwack. It was a women's health expo and they expected about 10,000 people. And it was right in the middle of meat, dairy, um, chicken and pigs country. Yeah. yet. I thought it might get tomatoes thrown at me or something. And but people had come to hear the talk. And some of them um came by and said they had diabetes. And the other ones came by and said, but my grandson is vegan. Like wow. So you know, things are changing in so many different places. I need that inspiration. Oh good. Well I need is, that. Yeah. It happening. <laughs> it is certainly yeah. happening.
0: We were in we were in Europe in September and October and it was just so much fun. We went to five different cities and we ate very well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I good. think
0: I had tiramisu in like three different countries. <laughs> good. Vegan, of course.
1: Yes, of course. That's yeah. Great. Yeah,
0: But that's not what I eat all the time. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The foods that we should be eating on a regular basis. Occasionally we can have a treat or two, but the things we want to focus on. And how long have you been doing this vegan thing, Basanto?
1: Well, I've been vegetarian for 45 years and vegan for 30 years. And I'm 81 now. Oh, my goodness. Turned 81. Wow, you look great. Thank you. Yes. And uh, so I've been really wanting to get a lot of old vegans out there. It's, re- it's really a passion of mine <laughs> you know, that we have some really good examples. And this year I did a, a little mini triathlon and my co-author, Brendan wow. Davis, who's nearing retirement age, is is a very fit person, as is her son, Corey, that we, we all did this book together, The Plant Powered Protein and you know i'm i'm really inspired that we can be in excellent health right at older and so i've been tweaking and fine tuning and figuring out exactly how to do it right and that's what we do in our books
0: i love it and now there are more senior vegans around i've been vegan for 35 years and vegetarian also for i guess almost well i started on the path about 50 years ago
1: yeah, Diet for a Small Planet. I read that book and it it had a
0: tremendous influence on me. It wasn't any one thing. Well, actually, it was one thing that made me want it, not eat meat. And that was I went to class in high school. I was about 15 and a friend of mine came into class and he said, I'm a vegetarian. And I had never thought about it before. It just boom. And I went home and I said, I'm not eating meat anymore.
1: Wow. Just like that. Was was he kind of cute or what? Uh, he, yeah, he was cute, but he is an older
0: friend. And it's funny because I saw him at some reunion maybe 20 years later. And I told him that he was responsible for like my life's mission and path. And he said he had been vegetarian for a week. He is no longer. It was oh, just. Wow. <laughs> but those things are funny.
1: Most people oh, stay though, because you can find really good food.
0: Absolutely. Okay. Protein. Now I have to say, I'm, I'm glad you put this book out, but it's also kind of fatiguing that after the decades, we are still talking about protein. That's right. (laughs) And how many people don't understand protein. And if we even need to be talking about protein, there are so many other things we could be talking about, but protein is important. And there's plenty of information in your plant powered protein book that people might want to know about.
1: That's right. And we we didn't even want to do it. Our publisher said, "You should do this book about protein." And we said, "Well, it's easy to get protein on a plant-based diet. All the food groups except the plant food groups except fruit have plenty of protein. Fruits low, but um, and he said, "Well, that's still the question that we get asked at our our book booths and vegans get asked vegetarians get asked people who are thinking about going protein going uh, plant-based get asked people who are thinking about going plant-based get asked so this is a really important thing to write about and then when we got into it i found it very very fascinating like there was all kinds of stuff to bring out that was interesting
0: well, since I've been following this issue, well, vegan diets, healthy vegan diets for a long time, I'm always looking for what's new. Uh-huh. And I'm kind of curious as to what you discovered that okay. was new.
1: It's new. Well, one of the things that was fascinating for me was about how to how to build muscle mass and new, new research about whether you could do it as efficiently, say if you had some deliciously marinated tofu, just before your workout or after your workout. Or if you're a senior, and going into sarcopenia, losing muscle mass, which really often happens. And I got, of course, quite interested in that, because I'm in that age range. Mm -hmm. So I started to take a real interest. And I realized that for seniors, for example, it can be really tricky to get enough protein. And sometimes people are dentally challenged. I mean, eating meat is tough and eating a lot of crunchy things is tough, whereas tofu is pretty easy. You Mm. gotta taste good. They don't know how to do that. So I started one of the things in our plant powered protein book was some uh, marinated tofu, little uh, slivers like fingers or cubes. And I have those all the time in my fridge. Wow. marinated, And then I put them in the air fryer so they're not really high in fat. And they're just there. And I just have a few, like somebody might eat a potato chip, except that you're getting delivered all this protein. But the European recommendations for protein for seniors are significantly higher than the usual recommended intake for young people. Whereas in, in North America, we haven't raised ours. But the research is showing that we don't absorb it quite as well when we're older. And we may need more. Um, And we certainly people aren't exercising as much. And so there are a number of reasons, but we should be upping our protein intake by 10, 20, 30% when we're seniors. Wow. Yeah. So first of all, I
0: never heard the expression dentally challenged, and I am now adding that to my vocabulary because a light bulb just went off. And I'm sure that is something that a lot of people experience, especially as we get older. I mean, our teeth are great, but they they are not made to last.
1: That's right. And they don't (laughs) rebuild. Our bone luckily regenerates continually. And my dentist told me, nope, doesn't happen with teeth. So You better look after them. Yeah.
0: I wish I knew that when I was really young, I would have been better with my teeth than I was. (laughs) I ate a lot of Captain Crunch cereal. Oh, Oh, I can still taste that sugary sweetness in my mouth. (laughs) Oh, well.
1: Oh, well. We do the
0: best we can. But I remember first hearing about how seniors need more protein. And it was kind of controversial at the time when I heard about it. And and I wondered, because you just mentioned it, because seniors aren't exercising as much, how much of that is linked into the findings and the decision that we need more protein? Because they they probably haven't done a lot of research to compare super exercising vegan seniors versus the average senior.
1: Oh, they have. They, they have. have. Okay. Research, Yeah. So what we find is that there are several factors here. First of all, people don't eat quite as much or they might go the tea and toast syndrome. So they're not eating the high protein foods. Mm. They're probably not absorbing as well. So some of it goes through. And so we need a little bit more because of that absorption issue. As you get older, your gut lining changes. And also we need to exercise to keep our muscles strong and to keep our bones strong. We need weight-bearing exercise. So I, for example, do three fitness classes a week. Mm. And uh, I do them on Zoom all the way through COVID we have. And it's a group for seniors, actually. And uh, we have an instructor that we really like. And she gears it exactly to what we need. So that's good. And then we do yoga once a week. I do things with weights and strength and also some aerobics. So that makes a difference, just this combination of the protein foods um, and the dentally challenged is interesting because foods like tofu have a really good texture, even if your teeth are a bit mm. wobbly or you have dentures that aren't um, aren't that good at biting as your original teeth used to be. Yeah. So these things can all make a big difference, but we got to make it taste good.
0: I want to say the Santo. you walk the walk and talk the talk and literally walk with fitness. That's Not right. only are you eating well, but you're
1: working out. Oh, we walk around the lake every morning too. You don't have to do huge amounts. Mm-hmm. You just do up, uh, keep going on it. And
0: you know what? It feels good. Yes. It, it feels good. When you exercise afterwards, you know, like, yeah, that's, that's good. It makes you feel good. And so many people that are aging, although we were talking about aging the other day, Gary, my partner and I, and cause I have a birthday coming up and um, we're going to say we're evolving rather mm-hmm. than aging. <laughs> but anyway, for people who are aging, a lot of people have aches and pains. They do and,
1: exercise even helps with that. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. Okay, we're going to talk more about exercise with Brenda Davis, who is your co-author of this book and is really the fitness maven. In early in your book, you write, when a protein is broken down into its constituent amino acids, the amino acids become building blocks for various proteins we need for our body. It makes no difference whether the amino acid originated from a plant food or an animal product. That's I true. loved seeing that. You may know this. I have a master's in chemical engineering, so I have a chemical background and I understand that some people may not, but can you elaborate more on this? Because it's been decades where people think that plant protein is poor quality.
1: That's right. So we mentioned Diet for a Small Planet, 1970s. That book came out and it said, you got to eat beans and grains at every meal to get the right amino acids. And then after 10 years, Francis Moore-Lapay, who was the author of that book, said, oops, I made a big mistake. That's not true. We don't have to. Actually, all the plant proteins have all the amino acids. We do need to get a mix of foods for good health, but we don't have to carefully. And before that, we were, and I was, eating plant-based at that time, going more in that direction. So we were trying to figure out, okay, how much rice and how much beans and and complementary (laughs) protein was a word that we were using. And then we realized you don't have to do that. You do have to get a mix of foods because each one delivers different minerals, different uh, protective phytochemicals, phyto meaning plants. Um, Each uh, one has different vitamins so we do wanna mix and in the process, you get all the amino acids, but they all came from, from plants in the first place. Even when, if you were eating uh, any sort of animal, their amino acids would have come from plants. So originally, if you look down the food chain, so um, it turned out not to be a difficult thing. We also got kind of on the wrong track because of rat studies. And I was teaching university in the 1960s, 1970. And uh, I found that we were thinking in a way that plant protein was better. That was in our textbooks and uh, in our ways of thinking, but it was based on these little rat studies. So they had little rats that were four weeks old. They were called weanling rats Mm -hmm. and they would watch their growth on different foods. And they'd watch for four weeks, and these little rats could double their weight in four weeks when they were given certain foods, like cheese was a big superstar, and uh, if they had meat. So it turned out that changed our thinking. We thought, oh, those cheese and meat must be better than the other foods. But it turns out, first of all, that humans actually don't want to double their weight in four weeks. I haven't met one that did. And... Also, that we um the, these little rats are growing fur all over their body. They come out kind of nude and pink, look like your finger, and then mm. they fur. So you need certain kinds of foods to grow that fur, and that with the sulfur amino acids. And and humans don't want to be covered with fur either. So that <laughs> got us just on this different track of uh, thinking that we should be eating in this method that's ideal for weanling rats four weeks old, but isn't ideal for humans.
0: You're just blowing my mind here because I always take animal studies with a grain of salt. They're different species from us. And your example is just a perfect one.
1: (laughs) We're not growing fur. No, that's right. (laughs) So what's ideal for us seems to be diets of the mix of the various plant foods. And when I say food groups, plant food groups, I mean grains, which actually provide about half of the world's protein. Mm. Around the world, I've trekked in Nepal. People were eating millet and rice, and and uh, they had uh, the the Sherpas that I had I was trekking with had a chicken once a year. It was like it was a scrawny little thing to shared with a whole bunch of people. They were carrying our packs and. And uh, doing on millet and rice and spinach and lentils, that kind of thing. And, and much stronger than us, really. Mm-hmm. That's how they were doing. Um, so we, we do need a mix of foods, but we don't need um, this particular balance thing to happen.
0: I know a handful of people who are thriving on just eating fruit.
1: It it can work, and I found I've I've for example analyzed Doug Graham's diet when I saw it listed. Like he had, I think, sixteen bananas for lunch. Right. You know, and but it works when you're getting thirty five hundred calories a day, because he gets a lot of exercise, and then he barely got up to the recommended protein level. Mm. So that are only eating 1700 calories a day or 2000, the protein is insufficient. Now, there were studies in Germany, the Gießen studies, that were about 500 people on raw food diets. And 25% of the women who were of childbearing age lost their menstrual periods, right? What the body does, it goes whoops, oh, here's uh, Karen's eating only fruit, I'll be a (laughs) huge example. And we'll we'll look after her heart, we'll make sure that's doing okay. But we won't worry too much about her hair color, or we won't worry about her blood loss at menstruation. You know, we will keep the protein for where we really need it, which is to keep her heart going, keep a few bones together, that kind of thing. So the body priorizes our uses and uses it where we need it the most when it's very limited. So the, these raw food diets are very low in protein when they're entirely fruit.
0: Right. so have you have you seen people who after doing this for a long time are suffering from low protein? because I just I'd, I haven't done any studies. I do know a handful of people who've been eating fruit their entire lives. they're very slim but they seem okay.
1: Yeah. And and uh, they will also probably nuts and seeds. Right. Especially. So you don't have to only eat fruit that's on on these raw food diets. So they'll they'll eat maybe a few sprouted lentils once in a while. But things like hemp seeds are quite significant, you know, 21 more in the 20% calories from protein more than that. Um, So that really helps a lot. And they can be mixed into smoothies and in salads and that kind of thing and the leafy greens are good a lot do that now i taught at a, a raw chef school in mm. california for three years at living light um, all just right COVID COVID and it stopped then but it was really interesting because people came from all over the world uh, from the philippines from india from across the u.s and canada and learned how to do raw foods and it's very people really felt wonderful for about four months, and then mm-hmm. start to run out of protein, if they didn't get it sorted out right. So we have one book called Becoming Raw, where we investigated all those challenges. And, you know, said, okay, here's how to do it. And probably your ideal is to do like 75% raw. And the person who started that school had never turned her oven on or her stove, Never. Was sitting there in her kitchen, Sherry Soria. Sherry Soria. Mm-hmm. She had not turned her stove on, but she did turn it on eventually because we 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 said, you know, you, it, it's okay to have some baked yams, or it's okay to have a, a bit of lentil soup if you if you're willing to go that far and do that instead of the hemp seeds and uh 75% raw. So she was she was quite intrigued with that. Yeah.
0: Well, I find the raw food diet fascinating, and I think it's helpful to learn about it because in our society, we've gone to such an extreme eating so many highly processed foods that we need to come back. And when you're concentrating on eating all raw foods and learning how to prepare them, it's really a great education. I think I, I love raw desserts better than anything.
1: Oh, I do too. And I have always salad is at least half my plate at every lunch and supper, every single one. And what I do is make a great big salad every uh, four or five days. And it's got romaine lettuce, sometimes some kale, some Napa cabbage, which is a Chinese cabbage. These are both great delivers of calcium. And uh, sometimes some some red cabbage to make it pretty. And then it's it's chopped up, it's ready, it's in Tupperware container with a tight lid and it's sitting in the fridge so I can just get it instantly. And uh, I will add maybe some tomatoes or red peppers at the last minute. They don't last for the four or five days. Right, but when you Do that kind of thing. It really works. So, and I have a kale smoothie every morning for breakfast. Mm. With kale and fruit and hemp seeds and some banana. So I'm getting raw foods always at every single meal. And then we have fruit for our evening snack. So I'm with you exactly on that. But I also have all these little uh, protein, you know, tofu, little snacky things.
0: I like to keep things simple. I don't want to think about am I getting enough of this and that now your book is very comprehensive and it tells us what we need and, and all the numbers of what foods have what, but should we be counting our grams of protein or should we do it like every now and then?
1: Well, we have a food guide on our websites. It's on our, our becoming vegan website, becoming And it's on our plant-powered protein website and so people can look but the basic idea I'll tell you so you can imagine this is half the plate or half this is half the day half the day's intake is vegetables and fruits and and lots of raw in there and then just under a quarter of the plate is grains and if people want to cut the calories that one can be shrunk although it does deliver b vitamins and it has some value and then a sliver is seeds and nuts. And seeds are even more nutritious than nuts. Um, things like hemp seeds. And then tahini delivers calcium, so does alm- almonds. And then about almost a quarter of the page is the protein foods. And interestingly, the national food guides are going in that direction. Like the Canadian one is very similar to this uh vegan food guide that we have on our websites. So that's a simple way to do it. You can just look at your, your plate or your overall food intake. We also have a section for essentials, which include um, iodized salt or some source of iodine, uh, vitamin B12, and vitamin D, and omega-3 fatty acids. And I'll, I'll just say a little bit about those. So uh, iodine is interesting because about 100 years ago, scientists start to realize that it was uh, responsible for things like goiter, mm. and babies being born as what was then called cretins. Tragic, like a, a mental disability situation, very severe mental disability. Mm. And we discovered that in some areas, like the Appalachians and around some areas in Quebec, around the Great Lakes, there was low iodine in the soil, so whatever plants we grew there, they hardly had any iodine, which you you had in areas near the sea. So they iodized salt it was really cheap, and everybody could get it, and it just wiped out these pro problems. Wow. We stopped having goiter. We stopped having babies, unfortunately, being born as uh, with this cretin situation, and so that was great but then lately what happened was everybody started using not everybody but a lot of people were using Himalayan salt and pink salt and sea salt and um, or not using salt at all because it it was too much sodium so then what we found is that it's sometimes questionable we don't know how much iodine so Mm -hmm. we suggested a simple thing is to go back to like $2 a box iodized salt, and, and you'll get a little bit. And you don't use much. You don't need much salt. It's a teeny little scrunchy part of a teaspoon.
0: I don't use salt, but I do take a supplement that has iodine in it.
1: Okay, and the next one is B12. We definitely mm-hmm. need that. And it's it, it comes not from animal products originally, but from microorganisms, from bacteria that produce it. So humans can't produce it, animals can't produce it, but these little microorganisms can. And we can get what they have in a supplement form. That's one of the great ways, or something like nutritional yeast, or there are fortified foods that have it. And what's present in animal products actually comes from the microorganism contamination that's in these foods. And then vitamin D, I've been really interested in that one too because um, we should get vitamin D. But even in places like uh, Los Angeles and Hawaii and uh, San Diego, you know, warm places, people are low in vitamin D. Wow. And we can produce vitamin D in our bodies with sun exposure. But a lot of people are just getting in their car, in their carport, driving to work, going into their office or their shop and hardly ever outside, or they slap on sunscreen, or they have a lot of clothing coverage. So we're finding that vitamin D is low. And of course, it's especially low in places like Vancouver, New York, you know,
0: that's whatnot. crazy.
1: Yep. So um, we we find and I've been interested in this one, I've been working with a medical clinic to find out what should be my optimal vitamin D level. And mm. Get your vitamin D tested and see if it's in the optimal range. But what I learned from one of the big researchers at University of Toronto is one, there's several that I've you know read their work very extensively, is what's optimal for somebody like me might be toxic for somebody else. Ah. We need different amounts. And vitamin D is a lively area of research. We're not sure exactly how much different people need. So our official recommendations are quite low, but what I'm taking right now is 5,000 international units. And that was after juggling it around. And we've got in our books, officially, it seems about 1,000 is good for most people and 2,000 for for seniors. But it may be that you need more than that. I worked with a clinic. It was actually a plant-based lifestyle medicine clinic for about a year. And I just got mine checked at different levels of intake until I got to the right uh, lab level and so I had to pay a bit for lab tests originally but it was worth <laughs> finding out how much would be ideal to keep me in the ideal range and so vitamin d is one nutrient like nutrition is a pretty new science it's only about 100 years old we discovered the first vitamin just at the beginning of world war one and so right There's a lot going on and, uh, you know, it's continually things coming out. So vitamin D is one of the mysteries in a way. We're just finding out, oh, wow, it does that too.
0: Yeah. So we're continually learning.
1: Yeah, we are with all these vitamins and minerals and how to be in optimal health. And, you know, we're so fortunate. We're not just struggling along how to get enough. Of course, a lot of us are struggling along with how not to get too much.
0: Well, that's another, that's a great segue because we live in a place where in many of the wealthier societies where we're getting too
1: much and too much protein. That's right. Yeah. So some of the big studies are showing that uh, some of the Adventist health studies, which have approximately 90,000 people and the Adventist health studies are interesting because they have people that are connected with their church. So they're willing to fill out these questionnaires like every two or three years and say what their health situation is, what their diet is. And they interestingly have a pretty health oriented group. They, they like to keep fit. They eat, even when they're eating meat, the amounts are are relatively small. Um, And So there have been big studies, like I said, over 90,000 people over decades looking at their health consequences. Mm. And it seems that when people are entirely plant-based or pretty close to it, they have a really good chance for optimal health. They get to live the last decade or so in brilliant health and, and, uh, you know, able to do lots of things, have fun with their grandchildren. When you talk to Brenda Davis, she'll be telling you more about the lower disease risk. But uh, the, the studies are, are extremely interesting because they were comparing not, not just for the general public, but pretty health-oriented people on different dietary patterns with meat, with, with only fish, with vegetarian, including eggs and dairy, and with vegan, and then looking at their health un- outcomes.
0: You mentioned hemp seeds before, and I just wanted to talk about them a bit because in the United States we're kind of messed up when it comes to hemp seeds. Exactly. <laughs> and as a result, what we are allowed to buy as food uh, is expensive. Are your
1: are hemp seeds as
0: expensive in Canada as they are in the United States? I'm
1: um, not quite as much, but I remember doing a study, working with a group a long time ago that were trying to get them readmitted. The, in the 30s, people were valuing him in the 20s because it was such a valuable plant. It gave this good nutrition. I think in early times it, it gave things that could be used as rope. It it just had a ton of uses that plant, and then all of a sudden it. It got criticized for its uh, potential marijuana content, especially from some strains of it. So then it got outlawed and now it's a little bit back in many places. But just as without any cannabis in it, seed, it's really nutritious. It's the the most nutritious of the seeds, really. Yeah, Um, I like hemp seeds. They're just expensive. Yeah. And you don't need that many like two tablespoons a day, right? It's not like you have to eat a whole lot. So that lasts. I I buy the big bag and just put it in my smoothie.
0: Well, marijuana is legal in many places now in the United States. How I know that is because I smell it everywhere. Unfortunately, (laughs) people seem to need to smoke it everywhere on the streets here. Yeah. Uh, which is not pleasant. And if you're a pot smoker, keep in mind that many of us don't like the smell, just like we don't like the smell of cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> it's very frustrating. You're outside, you're breathing the fresh air, and then it's, oh, that skunky smell. But I'm hoping that we get more hemp products because we're kind of loosening up about marijuana.
1: That's right. And, and uh, we've allowed alcohol to be legal. You know, I think it's better that we're... Or at least I a, know because we've had some crazy imprisonment situations. Humans are crazy. <laughs> uh, you briefly tall. mentioned
0: this, and I want to dig into it just a little bit. There was a an interesting chart in your book around page sixty three where you talked about uh, different studies and different countries with guidelines that are promoting more plant rich diets, like in Germany, Brazil, Sweden, Qatar, and uh, you mentioned Canada and even China's dietary guidelines are very encouraging. Do you know what they're doing about that? It's a first step to have the guidelines because in the United States, our guidelines aren't good enough yet. From there, are they? Are we seeing a benefit from those guidelines yet? Or, or Is it being
1: promoted somehow? Well, actually, New Zealand has, um, they've stopped subsidizing some of these animal products and they're finding there's a direct benefit to health. Uh, We've got some crazy situations. And one of the groups that's working on this with um, I think some very powerful benefit is PCRM physicians committee for responsible medicine. They've been legally tackling the dietary guidelines. And there are also groups that are tackling the uh, subsidy system. So, in Canada, the U.S., many, many countries, the farmers, livestock farmers, have had a huge influence over the government. And it, it came in, understandably, in the like 1930s or so. Farmers were struggling, and people wanted to support the farmers, so they started giving subsidies. Well, now these subsidies are going to huge factory farm conglomerates. And they're going to foods that are making us sick. They're going to things like corn that's put in corn syrup and pop and is making the Gulf of Mexico a a place of, you know, a sort of dead zone.
0: Mm. with
1: All the effluent that's coming out. They're going a lot to dairy and a lot to meat. And meat is a probable carcinogen, red meat and cured meats are convincing carcinogens. That's bacon, ham, sausage, uh, these foods that are cured are convincing carcinogens in the same group as Roundup and cigarette smoke. So we're subsidizing ways to get people um, cancer-ridden. And having the increased rates of diabetes and heart disease that are linked with these foods. Like it, it's really crazy. So there are groups that are nation rising in Canada and one in the U S that are strong groups that are opposing these subsidies. And it could be a way for governments to save money. I mean, governments are really struggling now after COVID and they need to find places to cut back. Well, stopping the subsidies would be a great way to cut back.
0: It makes sense to me. yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and sometimes you think, is there a conspiracy happening here? And I really don't want to think there's a conspiracy happening, but we have all of these financial incentives to eat poorly. And as a result, we end up in the medical system where we have mounting medical bills and it's kind of like a, a circular thing. It, and has somebody designed this I I don't think so, but it looks a little suspicious sometimes.
1: Yeah, well, it's unfortunate because some of the plant foods that are really healthy are not getting subsidized. Right. Organic foods, um, the different uh, legumes, beans, peas, lentils, there's about 20 different kinds of legumes that people use, and and they could be more subsidized if people want to do that.
0: I want to talk about plant milk. Okay, Because you have a nice chart in the book. And it caught my eye. Because we have a wonderful variety of plant milks out. And I think we're allowed to call them milk now because for a while we couldn't even call them milk. (laughs) But there's soy milk, almond milk, oat milk, rice milk, uh, there's pea milk and many different kinds. And I've always been a soy milk fan, unsweetened. And now Mm. I know I've been making a good choice because soy milk has far more protein than almond milk and oat milk and some of those others.
1: That's right. Yeah, there's really quite a difference. Now, I must admit, I like oat milk in my tea tastes better. But um, I'll have soy milk and everything else but there's a huge difference in protein. I mean I'm I'm having my little tofu cubes for, for the protein so I don't worry. but when we think about children and what we're giving them, it shouldn't be rice milk it shouldn't be almond milk. It shouldn't be these that have one gram of protein per cup or less when dairy milk and soy milk are up in the six to eight grams per cup range. Now the other, Milks are kind of catching on to this protein thing. Mm. So, stuff like hemp seed and and I've seen oat milk. Some are subsidized or um, fortified with uh, pea protein. Mm. So you'll see some advertised. But it's kind of fun to go to the skew about dairy and look at all the different options. So some things to look for are unsweetened, especially for adults. And to look for the words fortified or enriched, because then you get vitamin D and sometimes B12 and riboflavin. And then turn around to the nutrition panel side and look for the protein. And you'll see that there's quite a lot of difference between the different ones. One of the fun things to see is how much the non-dairy milk skews are getting bigger, 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 and the dairy milk skews are getting smaller in different stores
0: yay yeah (laughs) i just use plain unfortified unsweetened soy milk i get the vitamins i hope i need from supplements and not from fortified food it's just a choice
1: yeah that's good because then i
0: know exactly how much i'm getting on it a regular basis and i'm i really enjoy my soy milk and i recently got one of these um appliances it's like $35 or something and it foams and heats the milk and it's the <laughs> easiest and most incredible thing and it makes my tea so rich and yummy with this thick foamy soy milk I'm I'm obsessed with it <laughs> Good. <laughs> I feel like this is better than going to a cafe and having a barista make it yeah Good. <laughs> yeah, it's just for me. Yeah, so that's milk. And I think we're continually discovering that plant foods, no, ha- no matter how you cut it, they're just better.
1: They are. They have, and we're finding that even men are coming on board. Uh, when I first started doing veggie <laughs> cooking classes like 30 years ago, they would be 95% women that were right. cu- you have the occasional guy. It was quite unusual. And now things are really changing.
0: Well, you have two two reasons for that, I think. And the movie, The Game Changers, pointed that out. Uh, number one, athletes seem to fare better on a plant diet. They recover more quickly and they find more energy. And, and that's a good thing. And some of the strongest men out there and women are plant-based. And then their sexual performance is better. And I think uh, that's important to a lot of them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, there's another reason too that's bringing men on board, and they're interested in the environmental impact.
0: Oh, you mean that's good—that's an altruistic, nice reason? I'm just talking about your generic man. <laughs> yeah, it's nice that some of them are interested in the environment. Yeah.
1: It is. It is. It, it's it's uh, turning men's ideas around. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I want to talk a little bit about the recipes in the book, because not only is this way of eating scientifically based, but it is the most delicious way to eat. I am convinced I've been eating this way. And we sit down every day and I just say, oh, my God, this meal was amazing. Why? Why isn't everybody eating like this?
1: (laughs) That's what my husband says, too. He, he really likes what we have. And he likes kind of simple food. Now, I'll tell you, there's a difference between Brenda and I, and Corey's more like Brenda. Brenda likes being very gourmet, and she has everything elegant, and she's a very fast chopper. And so her things are fancier than mine. And I like pretty simple. I've got my little salad ready in the fridge all the time, and and I've got my tofu cubes uh, or some kind of bean thing like I'll make a lentil soup and have 10 portions in little glass um, ah. um, containers for, that can be just the serving for the two of us or just for me and so I make those like at least 10 at once and they're sitting there in the freezer can be easily thawed and, and eaten so I've got my my veggies, my protein, I make a really good salad dressing. And that'll last for a week or two. And it's got tahini in it for calcium. It's got nutritional yeast. So mine is just real simple. And I like that just pull it out, you know, because I want to walk around the lake and do my fitness and write books and all this other stuff. And okay. it does the more gourmet thing. So we've got quite a mix there.
0: Okay, so can I tell? I can't tell which ones are your recipes and which ones are hers.
1: Well, we actually go over it together, and then we have recipe testers. We have a team of them, uh, about six people, and they have different skills, too. Some are the easy people, some are the gourmet people, and they like things simple. So our recipes actually can be adapted for both levels. So it's not a particular recipe, but you can do it different ways. And then we've got beautiful pictures like the Gatto Gatto. Is one of them. I, I,
0: I wanted to mention the photographs. They are stunning. And then I read that they were by Hannah Kaminsky. And I was not surprised because she's a phenomenal photographer.
1: That's right. Yeah. So um, we can we can have it simple and we can have it complicated. And like Brenda will have gourmet meals when relatives come over that are not vegan and just wow them. Okay, I'm going to just pick out a few. Lentil tabbouleh. So, uh-huh. where did that come from? I think that's one of Brenda's. Oh, now, we, okay. One of our um, recipe testers is from San Francisco, and we've got ideas from Colombia. And uh, we've just got quite a mix. So, we let our recipe testers send in ideas as well. Cool. Yeah, but that's tabbouleh-
0: well, what I like about the tabbouleh is I've always liked the traditional tabbouleh, which is Almost, which is green because it's loaded with parsley and mint. Yeah. And I remember when I lived in France in the 90s, you could get these boxes of tabbouleh, but it wasn't made with the whole grain bulgur. It was made with um, couscous, a little pasta in it. And uh, it wasn't very green, it was more red. But I love this because if you want to, if you don't want to eat as much grain and you want to get more bean in your life, this is brilliant lentils with all of the wonderful tabbouleh ingredients parsley and mint and that's right yeah yeah I was very excited when I saw that oh that's great yeah is there so what recipe can we attribute to Vasanto Molina
1: well the one that I would I I love the gato gato just because it's so pretty and I'm sorry more about how to make tempeh taste good But it's got little cubes in the middle that are like these tofu cubes that I eat. The ones in our picture are tempeh, but they could be either. And another one that I really like is the uh, tasty tofu fingers. Yes, you mentioned them. Yeah, so that's one. And then another one is a multicolored bean salad. So I I like those ones particularly because the bean salad, you can make it on monday and then you can have it on tuesday and wednesday for lunch just pull it out of the fridge and people all seem to like it it's very simple and by the way people can use canned beans yeah and just rinse them and uh you can use different colors and then you put on the color of corn the color of red pepper you get this beautiful and it's got a slight marinade so it's a very quick recipe just open a can or two chop up a few veggies um, and uh, it's it's there ready and so that's a really quick one another one that's kind of fun for me are um, things like the bliss balls and the cookies that are healthy versions they have some, so I keep those in the freezer and just pull one out when I have a cookie emergency well I think We might want to
0: wrap this up. What haven't we talked about that you want to mention about this plant-powered protein wonder book?
1: (laughs) We can tell people uh, wherever they are to look at the happycow.net website for happycow.net if they want to go to restaurants. That's just another thing that helps people on plant-based diets and to... uh, try out all the different beans that there are. Like how many beans can you think of?
0: Right. So you had written in this book that there were maybe 20 kinds of beans. 20 but kinds but I had eat. read that in terms of varieties, there's like 45,000 or something crazy.
1: There are, but what people commonly eat in North America is about 20. And of course, they're not commonly eaten by everybody. A lot of ethnic, origin people like we we have can you think of from China what beans do we have mm-hmm. yeah we've got like red beans and tofu soybeans and then from the Middle East we've got um pinto beans or Mexican have pinto beans many countries have chickpeas they're very versatile but there's red white uh Anasazi some traditional ones so it's, it's really fun to explore the culture that you want and have some good recipes that go with that.
0: Well, I live in New York City, and you probably have similar markets like we do in your veg yeah, yeah. city, but if I go to an Indian store, for example, there are all these different beans that I don't normally see in a conventional supermarket. They're not always organic, but I do like to try some of them because they're interesting. And then uh, there's also Rancho Gordo beans, which are becoming quite popular here in the United States. They um, grow them out West and they're these heirloom type of beans. And what's fun is uh, my partner's sister sends them to us as gifts. So it's fun to get a box of different color beans and different kinds of beans that you haven't tried. And if you're looking for like a healthy gift option, sending people different packets of heirloom beans might be the ticket.
1: And, and then um, we haven't talked about this because both you, your household and ours, we like kind of whole foods plant-based, but there are a lot of veggie meats coming out and there's a huge assortment there. And we're thinking those are fine. Like environmentally, they're they're a plus. Um, health wise, they don't have the things that that lead to cancer and heart disease and and uh, d- type two diabetes. Uh, there's less TMAO, less new 5G. Hmm. Um So um, those are really okay, and they're they're good transitions. Or when your father-in-law is coming over and he wouldn't want to eat a bean, you know. <laughs> um but he'll he'll eat something that kind of looks pretty familiar so there are a lot of different ones coming out and and uh, that's adding some interesting variety right they're good for transitioning and for picky eating guests that's right that's exactly (laughs) right you nailed it
0: right And I occasionally I like to have them. They do tend to be high in sodium. you have to look at what's on the packet. I prefer some over others. some are more processed than others. but it's true that we have a tremendous choice more than ever before.
1: We do yeah yeah
0: yeah. But there's nothing like, beans and whole grains and greens, just the simple foods.
1: That's right. yes that's very true.
0: right. Well, Vasanto, this has been such a delicious delight talking to you about this very needed book. I hope people ask less about protein after this book gets around. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I would like to see. People start talking about something else. There are more interesting nutrients to be talking about.
1: Well, this one's pretty interesting for now. Plant-powered <laughs> protein.
0: <laughs> and we've yeah. got a. To-
1: say about that it is it's like
0: I, I'm, I'm sure you've heard this many times but people will say oh I don't know I'm feeling tired I need more protein or oh I'm feeling this and I need more protein and everybody self-diagnosed and they think they need more protein and maybe they do but probably they don't they probably need a drink of water or they probably need to get better sleep <laughs> some people might need a little more protein but protein is not always the answer and this book will help you figure that out
1: Thanks, Karen. (laughs) That was fun fun connecting with you.
0: Yes. Okay, so I'll see you in September. That's right. Okay. Bye for All right. That was Vasanti Molina, co-author of Plant-Powered Protein, Nutrition Essentials, and Dietary Guidelines for All Ages. This is part one of the interview based on this book, and next week, I'll be talking with Brenda Davis and her son, Corey Davis, who are co-authors, and we'll hear a little bit more about plant-powered protein. Stay tuned. In the meantime, everybody, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. I'm Karen Hartglass. You can find me at responsibleeatingandliving.com. Send me comments and questions at info at Remember, have a delicious week.